0: Well, happy Easter, everybody. So excited that you're here. I love Easter. Easter is like the Super Bowl of church. And uh, I love Easter Sunday. Thank you so much for being here with us. And also, if you're new here this morning, maybe you've, you, you're here and you're, this is your first time, you've caught us in the middle of a series called Seven Signs, and we're talking about being a powerful Christian. And it's a study of the book of John, and it's very strategic that you're here today because today we're going to be talking about overcoming something that no matter who you are, this is just something that each one of us struggle with in one aspect or another, and that is fear. So years ago, my son, Josiah, when he was very little, we took him to an amusement park. And I can't remember which one it was, but I do remember that little Josiah, he had, to, he had to be like seven or eight, something like that. And he was wide-eyed at all of these huge rides, but he was too small, too short to ride most of them. So we would go you know, and walk through the park and he would look up at a ride and say, Dad, I want to ride that one. And so we would go over and check the height and he would be too short and he'd be all disappointed and he'd find another one, dad, I wanna ride that one. So we went ride after ride after ride and he was too short for all of them. And so finally we walk up on a ride and it is, I mean, it's one of these rides that spins one way and then starts to spin another way. And not only that, but it the actual whole, the whole ride had an arm on it. So it was spinning two different ways and then it would also stand up and would spin, vertically as well like a ferris wheel well as we're looking at this i'm looking at this ride and i'm thinking wow that's a serious ride you know that's intimidating and so josiah looks up at it and he is a little bit intimidated he says dad can we ride that one and i said well we'll go check buddy so we walk up And he he walks up and he says, he asks the guy, can I ride this ride? And the man puts him up against the ruler and measures him. And he says, yes, son, you can ride this as long as your dad's with you. So in that moment, he is super excited about riding this ride until that very moment. And he looks up at the ride and he looks back at me, looks up at the ride and he says, do I want to ride this dad? And I just said, I leaned down to him and and I just whispered into his ear and, and I just said, don't be afraid, buddy. I'll be with you. So with a lot of trepidation, he says, okay. So we stand in line. And as we stand in line, we just see that thing spinning around and around over and over. And he asked me again, dad, are you sure I can ride this ride? And so I said, it's okay if you don't want to ride it. And so he would stop and think. And he said, no, I want to ride it. So we get up to the front of the line and we get on this ride And the way that the ride was designed is that I sat in it and that he could sit in between my legs right in front of me and then they would buckle us all in. So I'm sitting there and he's like right in front of me and all I've got is the back of his head and my chin. And the ride, it starts to move. And so I, I reached down and talked into his ear and I said, are you okay, buddy? He didn't say anything. I said, are you all right, Josiah? He didn't say anything. I know he can hear me. And so I just whispered in his ear. I just said, don't be afraid. I'm right here. And he says, okay, dad. So the ride starts and it starts spinning one direction and I've got a hold of him just to remind him that I'm there and it starts spinning in one direction and then it starts to spin the second direction and then it starts to stand up. And as it begins to stand up, I hear him begin to scream. And I just have this, I just think, what have I done to my son? I don't know how long this ride is. And so I held him just as tight as I could. And I kept talking to his ear. I'm here, buddy. Don't be afraid. I'm here, buddy. And he just continues to scream and scream. And so I hold him for what seems like forever. It's an emotional thing for a dad when you think that you have scarred your child. You you terrified them. But there was nothing I could do but just hold on to him and tell him, don't be afraid. I'm right here. I'm with you. So eventually, the ride comes to a stop. And as soon as it comes to a stop, I turn around as quick as I can. I lean around to look at him, to comfort him. And he is cackling. He's not screaming, he's laughing. He is cackling as loud as he can the whole ride. He just laughed and laughed and laughed. And so when we got off of it, he runs up to his mom. He gives her a big hug and he says, I wasn't afraid, mommy, but daddy was scared. <laughs> I guess because I kept telling him, don't be afraid, buddy, don't be afraid. I guess he thought I was kind of like consoling myself. But in the Bible, there is a major theme throughout the Bible. And just to be honest, we all struggle with it. And when we hear it, we're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I hear what you're saying. But look, I don't know how to do that. And here is the theme. If you're ready for it, here it is. Here's what Jesus taught us, his earliest disciples. He said, thou shalt not fear, and you're like, what? Yeah, thou shalt not fear. What? Don't fear. I mean, can you even say that? You know, we'll stop fearing. Well, I'm afraid. We'll stop it. Oh, okay. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. And it's like Jesus's favorite command. He said, fear not, fear not, fear not. If you don't understand it, I'll rephrase it for you. Do not be afraid. That's what That's what it meant. And we all have concerns that come at us, worries that try to attach themselves to us. We all replay that conversation that may never happen in the future. We play it over and over. How am I going to answer that person? Or how am I going to deal with this? Or are my kids going to be okay? Are my marriage going to be okay? Is my country going to be okay? See, we all have certain fears that try to attach themselves to us. And so people come along and they say, you just have to have faith, brother. You just have to have faith. And you're like, yeah, thanks, I, I appreciate that. That doesn't really help. Faith in what? Just blind faith that everything is gonna be okay? Are we just wishing all the bad stuff away? But here at Easter, to talk about faith makes sense, and we are gonna talk about faith, but we're not gonna talk about blind faith. You see, faith overcomes fear, but blind faith does not overcome fear. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is not just about believing. You know, we'll just believe in belief. we we'll just have faith in faith. And see, it's not just about taking it by faith, whatever it is. John and James and all the disciples, they didn't follow Jesus because of faith. They, and, and he would caution you and John would caution you, he would caution me, all of us, against just following Jesus because of faith. They followed Jesus because of what they actually saw. And John actually encourages the readers of his gospel. He says that, I want you to believe, and I want you to place your faith in Jesus because of what I've seen and what I've heard. And here's how he says it in 1 John 1. He he says, that which is from the beginning, and, and the beginning isn't Genesis. The beginning is the beginning of this adventure of Jesus showing up on planet Earth, making these crazy claims and substantiating them by doing outrageous things. And and so he continues, these things which we have heard, and what he's saying is, I've actually heard this and I've saw this. These are things that John actually saw and the disciples saw with their own eyes. And he says, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. It was John's way of saying, look, after the resurrection, we weren't just seeing things. It wasn't just a mirage or a ghost or wishful thinking that just turned into something that we thought we saw. This is something that we're letting you know about. This is something that we proclaim knowing the word of life, that the word appeared. I think that this is John's way of saying, look, I'm just a simple man, my father, simple fisherman. And Jesus came along and turned everything upside down. So don't ask me any difficult questions. All I know is, uh, is this. As a Jewish boy, I always believed in God. I always worshiped Yahweh. And I'm just telling you that that invisible, mysterious, don't ask me a lot of questions, God, he actually came to earth in the form of a person, and I met him. He's my rabbi, my friend. He is my savior. He's Jesus. And that life appeared, and he says, we have seen it, testified of it, and we have proclaimed to you what we have seen and what we've heard. He was saying, I'm telling you what I saw and I heard, and and John is the, probably the last of all the apostles alive when he's writing this. And he was encouraged by a group of people probably to document his life and the life of Jesus. And that we think he was too old to see very well. We doubt he wrote this himself because he didn't know Greek. And it comes to us originally in the Greek language, which means in all likelihood, he dictated this story. And so somebody basically interviewed the story out of John. And it comes to us as the gospel of John. But here's the most important thing, is that John is not content just to tell us what happened. John, John's got an agenda. He wants something to happen to us. And John wants something to happen to you as well. It's something that happened to him based upon his interaction with the Son of God. And he spells it out for us at the end. He gives us this, his thesis statement. In other words, he says, this is why I wrote this. This is not just so you know what happened. Here's my agenda. And, and this is the theme verse for this series, John twenty thirty, and it says Jesus performed many other signs. He did a whole lot of other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He says these things, the things that I've written, though, I've written them so that you, not just so that you would know, they are written so that you would believe. He's saying, I've done my best to lay this out so that your experience with what I write would actually mirror my experience with this living God. I've written these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that the Jewish people had waited on for so long and that he is the son of God. So for those of you that believe that there's one God, that he is the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so throughout the gospel, he refers to this as eternal life. And he's very clear that that doesn't start when you die, but eternal life starts in this life, knowing that there is something beyond this life. Because John knows, and, and we know, that when you live this life when, with an assumption that there's something beyond this life, we live this life in a very, very different way. So John lays out this sequence of events that brought him into fellowship as well as fellowship, if you will, of Jesus. And he's just hoping that these events, these signs that he shares with us would do this very same thing for us. So he organizes the whole gospel around these seven signs that pointed to the identity of Jesus. And his hope was that what happened to him would actually happen to us, his readers as well. So today we are gonna be talking about the fifth sign where Jesus walks on the water. And he actually explains to his disciples uh, and it's embedded in the story how he explains to his disciples how, how do we fear not? So, a little backstory. Uh, So the disciples had just, you know, had this amazing miracle where they they helped Jesus feed 5,000 people. They're probably feeling pretty good about themselves because Jesus said, hey, you do the miracle. You feed them. And they say, we can't do that. And he says, yes, you can. He prays. They handed out food. And that little bit of food fed the whole 5,000 men. And this is where we pick up the story in John 6, verse 15 he says, so after he had fed the multitudes, Jesus, knowing that, they, that the people had intended to make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So Jesus goes up to the mountain. He knows, well, wow, I fed all these 5,000 men. They want to make me king by force so that we can overthrow Rome, but that's not the, that's not the plan. And so all these men come to Jesus. Look, Jesus, they killed the Baptist. We got to do something. And they wanted to make him king. And Jesus knew it wasn't his time. So he goes up to the mountain by himself. And then in verse 16, it says that when evening came, so the disciples are left there by themselves at this point. So the disciples go down to a lake where they get in the boat and they set across the lake to go to Capernaum. Now in Matthew's gospel, when Matthew tells this story, he actually says that Jesus instructs them to go across the lake. And so they're going to do what Jesus is says. So they're going to do exactly what he tells them to do. Jesus told us to cross the lake. And so we're familiar with this lake. We grew up around it. A lot of us are fishermen. This is their boat. We're going to row across the lake and do exactly what Jesus tells us to do. This is one of those super famous stories. And so Jesus is on the mountain. He's praying. And then going back to verse 17, it says, by now it was dark and yet Jesus had not yet joined them. So, We've got all these guys. They're rowing across the, this lake, the Sea of Galilee, in the dark, and then it says a strong wind was blowing and the water grew rough. Now, when it says the water grew rough, it was not kidding because one of the things that you would only know if you grew up there and you, if you understand the geography of the Sea of Galilee is that there were these mountains all around this particular sea. And warm winds and sea and these storms would often blow off the Mediterranean and collide with the cool winds off of the Sea of Galilee. And these and the mountains would obstruct any view of these storms coming. There was no weather channel, and so they wouldn't know until it was right on top of them. So it made it super dangerous to be in the in the middle of the lake or the Sea of Galilee. And even though it's not very large, these rough, rough storms would actually cause the most knowledgeable sailors, the most experienced sailors, to actually capsize and drown. It was super dangerous. It was a very dangerous place to be, especially at night. I mean, you already couldn't see the storms coming in because of the ridges, but you could see even less at night. So the winds are picking up. And the storm and they know a storm could be right over the ridge. So they are rowing into a headwind. So they're they're taking turns. And when you read the whole story and you put all the gospel accounts together, they have to be out there for hours and hours and hours trying to row across the lake because Jesus told them to, you know, so that's what they're gonna do no matter what. And the waves are coming on, they're rowing in place. You know, it's probably like the first rowing machine ever. They're just, it's stationary and they're rowing and they're rowing. They're, you know, they're rowing their blisters until they pop. It's pitch black dark. They're worn out, tired, soaking wet. And so in verse 19, when they had rowed about three or four miles, and like I said, when you put all these gospel writers together, it was all night long. And when Matthew tells the story, he says that this next, next thing happened right before dawn. So they had rowed about three or four miles all night, and they see Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and it says they were frightened. I would say so. I mean, see, when Matthew tells this story, it says that they thought he was a ghost on the water. Have you ever been in a situation where it seems like the darkest of night, and you feel like you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing, and you're you're not getting anywhere? No matter what you do, you're not getting anywhere, and, th- and everything's coming against you, and there could be a death blow storm coming in at any time. Things are getting worse, and with all of that, and if all that's not bad enough, ghosts start showing up. You see, I know what it's like to be rowing and rowing and rowing, and things seem, things seem to be getting worse and worse, and maybe the storm that's coming is not here yet, but it could be here any minute, and I don't know who the ghost is on the water, but it seems like things just keep getting worse and worse. Watch this, verse 20. Jesus calls out to them and he says, it is I, don't be afraid. <laughs> what, whatever, right. But it was Jesus. I kind of think that Jesus probably got a kick out of this, you know? Uh, you know, just different times like this when he did stuff like this, just, just to be honest. It had to be like, "Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. You weren't with us, but then you were watching us. You were close, Jesus would say, yeah, because one day I'm not going to be physically with you, but I still will be watching you and you don't need to be afraid. And here's the point, even when there's something to be afraid of, and here's a lesson, you don't have to be afraid, even when there are things to be afraid of, Jesus would say to you, fear not, fear not, but wait, but wait a minute, what about that? No, no, no fear not. You don't have to be afraid even when there is something to be afraid of. You see, this is what Jesus was trying to teach his early followers. And so what I want us to to just try to at least get into into our minds and our hearts is fear not. And so I'm going to change those first words Look, I don't have to be afraid, even when there are things to be afraid of. Maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you're not even a Christian. Maybe you don't even like church. You know, it's like, my wife made me watch this. It's Easter. How long, how long do I have to watch this? Just play along with me. I want you to experience how powerful this idea is. And for some of you, it may be like, look, this is exactly what I needed to hear. I'm right in the middle of the storm, and I do believe but I'm wondering if God is even here with me or, you know, is he the ghost? Is he a goat? What's the deal? And the thing is, is that Jesus, some of you might be like, Jesus walked on the water? Seriously? I don't That's fairy tales. And God, I, I understand. But I want you to experience just for a moment the power of this statement. Because if you were ever, if you would ever decide to follow Jesus or redecide to follow Jesus or if you ever come back to church, we all deal with fear as we'll see in just a minute, this is Jesus's response to our fear. So I want us to all read this together. Even if you're not even sure that you believe it, I want you to hear yourself say this statement. All together now, let's say it together. I don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. One more time, I don't have to be afraid even when there's something to be afraid of. That is what Jesus taught about fear. You don't have to be afraid. And here's something that's really encouraging is that these guys, his disciples, they didn't learn this lesson at this point. Right up until the very end, Jesus, Jesus is arrested. What did they do? Did they stand by their man? No, they were terrified. They all ran away in fear. They all left him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, they they lied and they denied and they hid and they didn't show up for his funeral. They didn't want to be associated with him. You know, if they come for him, they're going to come for us. And they were scared and they did not fear not. They did not fear not. They feared regardless of what Jesus told them. It's like, hey, they have, you know, they have swords. We have one sword. Game over. We're out. And so throughout all the teachings of Jesus, the miracles, the walking on water, all this stuff, at the very end, they all still ran away because they were so afraid. But then they emerge after the gospels, after the resurrection, fearless. It seemed like they got it. And what made all the difference in the world was not just another lesson, not just another another boat ride, not another lecture, another campfire talk from Jesus. It was that they saw a resurrected Savior. And once Jesus rose from the dead, then they became fearless. Why? Because the ultimate enemy, death, had been defeated. And when they lost their fear of death, they feared not. It is the only explanation that, look, the teaching didn't do it. The miracles didn't do it. Seeing a resurrected Savior on Easter changed everything. And here's the fascinating thing is that the early followers of Jesus, and they would understand this, the early followers of Jesus would understand that somehow uh, American Christians and Western Christians, we miss it, but there are other parts of the world where Christians understand this, that when you come to the conclusion and you finally stake your eternity on the fact that Jesus really died for your sins and rose from the dead and was seen and had his resurrection life that he presents to us, your fear of death? evaporates. And once you're no longer afraid, once you learn, like Jesus said to, to fear not, uh, like he said, don't fear the people that could only harm the body. But if when we learn to reverence and fear the one that controls our soul, something miraculous happens on the inside. And what happens is an absolutely amazing thing. And that is that we become fearless and it becomes a way of life. In the late second century, Marcus Aurelius was was the emperor. Like in Gladiator, that was the Marcus Aurelius, and he oversaw what was considered to be the fourth major persecution of Christians. Watch this. So, like in one sixty five, one seventy five, one eighty, somewhere around in there, this whole persecution of Christians was going on. And it was a time to be afraid. It was a time when there became there was a famous Roman doc, doctor. Claudius Gallius, and Claudius wrote a lot of things that have been preserved historically through antiquity, and in his writings, there's about a half a dozen times that he actually mentions Christians. Now, something you should know is that back in those days, it was illegal to examine a dead body. Once a body was dead, they buried it, they burned it. But doctors, they could not do autopsies on dead bodies. So what doctors would do to learn is they would hang around in arenas in the places where people were dying because they could examine dying bodies. They couldn't just examine dead bodies. So this famous writer who apparently looked at a lot of dying bodies, examined a lot of dying bodies, examined the bodies of Christians during the persecution of Christians. And so this, was, this wasn't this was 20 years after Jesus. It was like 160, 170 years after Jesus. And Christians over 100 years later are not just being put to death. They are being tortured to death. Unspeakable things that Christians went through. And in his writings, this particular doctor, this famous doctor in his generation, he wrote the following about Christians. He said, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something that we witness in them every day. It's amazing. It's like no matter what we put them through, no matter how much we want them to recant, no matter what we put them through, we are trying to extinguish them. We're trying to do a miniature genocide of Christians. But every single day, their fearlessness of death in the hereafter, because of that, they're not afraid to step into whatever's next. It's something that we witnessed in them every single day. It was the fearlessness of early Christians that actually captured the attention of the Roman Empire because everybody fears death except for those who believe in a risen Savior. It's what Jesus could say without batting an eye. Look, I know you don't get it now, guys, but fear not. Fear not. Have such great reverence and fear of God that everything else pales in significance. And here's the deal. Do you know why I wasn't afraid on a roller coaster that spins three different directions? Three reasons. Number one, I had been on a roller coaster ride before. Number two, I had been on huge rides, a lot in my life. And number three, I had actually been in one of those exact rides that I took Josiah on. I had been there, done that, I wasn't afraid. And do you know why I was actually, I was confident that Josiah did not need to be afraid either because I, I had been on that ride before. I had been on rides a lot and I had actually been on one of those specific rides. So I could say to him with all the confidence in the world, fear not, don't be afraid, buddy. And do you know why Jesus can say to us, his followers, 2,000 years later? Do you know why he can whisper through the centuries to us today, to you and to me, in spite of what we're facing, in spite of what we're dealing with, in spite of the terror that might try to grip us because of circumstances that we just found out about? Do you know why he could say to us, fear not, because he's been on this ride. He's been here, he's done this. He's got the scars to prove it. And because he has been in the very circumstances that he's been in, the Bible says he was tempted with everything that we were tempted with, gone through everything that we've gone through. And he says, you do not have to be afraid, even though there may be something to be afraid of. And he would say, because I'm with you. He's whispering in our ears on the ride. You don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear anyone because you have been invited to submit yourself to submit to surrender yourself and your fears to a God who loves you who is with you and and who is not surprised by anything that's happening to you and he will walk with you through each thing. And if you think that's just pie in the sky and something to care to comfort you, just remember this that Jesus punctuated his command to fear not, he put this punctuation and exclamation point on the end of it, not just with another miracle, another teaching, but with his own resurrection. He says, I have conquered death, and as my follower, you, you shouldn't fear what I've conquered. Jesus has been there, he's done that, and he came back to prove that he had authority over death itself. So for those of you that have already placed your faith in Christ, that claim to be his followers, Jesus says to you, fear not, fear not. Even when there is something to be afraid of, fear not. Would you guys just close your eyes for just a second? And I want you to think about the thing that you might fear most. For some of you, it might be losing a child or even losing another child. It might be financial, maybe marriage, the health of your health the health of somebody you love maybe your job what is the fear that tries to attach itself to you that roller coaster ride that seems like it's spinning out of control and you're asking does god care is he listening is there anybody up there what are you tempted to be afraid of i just want to say to you on behalf of your heavenly father and your savior jesus with your eyes closed just listen fear not i am with you Fear not, I am with you. Don't be afraid, even when there's something or someone to be afraid of. Heavenly Father, I thank you for preserving all of these accounts. Thank you for preserving the eyewitness accounts of people that would emerge on the other side of your resurrection. Fearless, not because of their character, the way they were born or their circumstances, but simply because of something and someone that they had seen. And I thank you that you would give us that same fearlessness, because that fear of circumstances, fear of man, fear of of disease, I thank you that that has been overwhelmed with an overwhelming reverence for you and a trust and a faith in you who control our destinies. And I thank you that you put us in this world and you love us more than you love sparrows. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.